Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this show because I'm on a mission to humanize the workplace and transform leaders. And from my perspective, what that looks like is it really starts with self-leadership. And self-leadership is about understanding our emotional intelligence, our mindfulness, our mindset. And then as we do that, we can create really human workplaces that are inclusive, where everyone can do their best work. And I'm super excited for today's guest. Uh, I was very privileged to meet uh, Emily. I was just calculating today as we were doing the show um, in 2018 in San Diego at an intensive with Rich Litvin and immediately gravitated towards her because of her energy and we have such shared values. So it's going to be a really rich discussion today. So Emily Golden is an executive and career coach. She's an author. She's a speaker and an HR consultant, and she's just written the new book. Book, which I can't wait to talk to her about today called The New Golden Rule. Highly recommend it. <clears throat> Very tactical and so many uh, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises that it's not going to be a book that you just read and go on your merry way. Oh, that was great. I'm inspired. No, you're going to really think about things, go deep. And if you give yourself the opportunity uh, to really learn a lot about yourself through this book. So welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's so wonderful. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to watch you on your journey, see this podcast come to fruition um, and be here with you today. Yeah, I'm really excited for the conversation, Emily. And as a starting point, I always like to give all of my guests an opportunity to, and, and this is going to feel big, but so it's going to be highlighting. Um, tell me a little bit about your journey and what got you to the work that you're doing now. Sure. So I'll first start off by saying that I am a mom. And the reason that I bring that into the equation is because being a mom really has informed my career. Um, I always knew that I was going to be a working mom. It just was a, it was, it was a something that was a definite from, from the beginning. Um, I began my career in human resources and I spent 17 years climbing the ladder in human resources. Um, the truth is I never actually loved the work that I was doing, but I was good at it. And I kept getting promoted and recognized and, that felt good. And I made a lot of friends and connections and that felt good. Um, and, but I, I had this sense inside of me from the beginning that there was something more for me, but I just, I didn't know what it was into, and my career began in 1999 after when I graduated college in 2010, when my oldest was five, she was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. And I, I share that because it was a pivotal mo moment. It was an inflection point for me. Um, it was, it, it, it really changed my trajectory um, or maybe it sped things up for me. Here, it was a shocking diagnosis. It was a disorder I knew nothing about. I was in this career that I was just on automatic. Um, I wasn't loving it. It was good enough. It was bringing in good money. And then I had this home life, which was my everything. And now all of a sudden there's this new diagnosis in the home life. And it changed what I thought it was going to be, to be a mom. 
Now, in retrospect, it was the best thing that could have happened. I'm sorry that my daughter has this diagnosis and she is incredible and amazing. And I've learned more from her than I ever could have imagined. Um, however, it, it just, it had me really bump up against this. What am I doing professionally? And wouldn't it be amazing if I could be doing something I love that brought me joy? Um, it, because at home, I was really struggling with how to manage. Um, and it took a number of years for me to find the thing. It took my husband and I moving to an area where the cost of living was less, soul searching. Um, and I found coaching. The beautiful thing is that coaching and the type of coaching that I do really married up so nicely with my career in HR. And the truth is there was a lot about HR I loved. I always loved working with people, understanding where people, um, where people's strengths lie, um, how to support people to be better, how to accelerate development. So all of that just made sense. And um, in 2016, I left the corporate world for my full-time job, hung my shingle as a coach and the rest is history. Wow. And we were just saying before we started the show today, I love that we both started. You were in July, 2016. I was in December, 2016. So I think we both remember very clearly that day when we made the decision and, um, and that decision can look different for everybody, right? For me, it was a leap of faith, but I have to say when I made that decision, it had been like the entrepreneurial itch had been there for me for probably like 10 or 15 years. It was underneath, but there were so many um, what I believed were risks associated with, with making that big of a decision. But I think sometimes there's a lot of inner work that we have to do to get to that place that we're ready to make that courageous decision. Sure. Absolutely. Um, for me, there were so many layers to be peeled away. And frankly, I did not see myself as an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur was that person and that person and that person. And it was, it was not me. When I found the entrepreneur inside myself, it was like the lights went on. I, I, I am an entrepreneur. Yeah. I am constantly ideating. I have new ideas. I love creating. I love, love the idea of bringing new things to market and um, running my own business. There's something so freeing and liberating in it. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think this book that you created is, is such a beautiful gift. And when you think about the new golden rule, um, I love to hear your overview of what the new golden rule means and then tap into a little bit around the differences between the golden self and the survival self. So let's start there. What, what do you mean when you talk about the new golden rule? So the old golden rule we're all familiar with, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And as I was, as I was in my process, I realized that there was something flawed, or for me, something flawed in that mentality. And look, I'm all for treating others well. But what I learned is that it's the relationship we have with ourself that informs how we relate to others always. So the new golden rule is to treat yourself the way you want others to treat you. It's, that's where the power is. And it's about um, really recognizing your own needs and getting those needs met, figuring out how to get those needs met, 
to get yourself supported, to, um, to, to recognize. And sometimes the needs are simple, right? Sometimes I want a cookie. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I want my partner to hold me and tell me that he loves me, right? And, and sometimes I need a break and sometimes I need a really intense workout, right? And sometimes I need, right? So it's, it's knowing what we need and really being able to give that to ourselves and ask for what we need. So that's essentially the new golden rule. And while it seems super simple and it really is a simple concept, it is not easy. Mm-hmm. It is an everyday practice. In fact, on the days where I am struggling with, with anxiety, which is along for the ride in this lifetime with me, um, I will often say, how am I going to apply the new golden rule today? I am living this rule myself every day. Um, and it's, it's become a thing in my, my family. You know, how are we applying the new golden rule? My clients, how are you applying the new golden rule? So um, I believe in this. I believe in it to my core. And I, I think that if we are living the new golden rule, we are by, but we're naturally kinder mm-hmm. and more generous to other people because we're giving ourselves what we need. Yeah. So part of the process is understanding, is building um, self-awareness. So it's understanding that we're made up of, I say, these two pieces, the golden self, highest and best you, and the survival self, the survival instincts. Um, These two pieces are part of you, no matter what, they're not going away. Um, the idea is not to make one go, sur- the survival instinct, the survival self go away and the golden self to be, you know, loud it, It's or to be like in the forefront. It's not that. It's to recognize that you've got both of these pieces of you and to be able to make a choice as to where you're coming from in any given situation. So we first need to figure out who are we, right? That golden self, that's the essence of who you are. That's who you've always been, your being. It's who you are when you are walk into a room. It's what is missing when you leave a room. When, you know, I say to people, um, you know, what the best way to find out what your golden self is, who your golden self is, is Oh, Emily, you just got muted there. You got muted for a second. Oh, can you hear me now? You are back. Yes. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> well, interesting. My computer just just lost touch with its golden self. <laughs> you were just talking about what that looks like to like really um, figure out what it looked like. Who is that golden self and, and find out. I'm, I'm thinking you might be talking about even getting feedback from others. Exactly. So, um, so we are not the greatest correspondents of this piece of ourself because um, we've lived our life and we have these stories about who we're not. So I always suggest going out and asking other people, um, what's my superpower? What shows up when I do? What qualities do I bring to a room? What's missing when I leave the room? What can you always count on me for? My golden self is um, passion, radiance, vision, wit, love. That's who I am. I don't have to, I, 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 everywhere I go, I bring that. 
And then there's this other side to me, which is this survival piece, this piece that has been born of, um, it was born early in my life and um, it was born of fear. And um, it's gotten me actually quite far. It's the piece of me that I relate to in the book as a perfectionist, as a people pleaser. Um, and it's not all bad and it does get in my way, right? So it's the thing that when I was trying to get my father's attention and I have a wonderful relationship with my father, I love him dearly and I've done a tremendous amount of work, but for years he was doing his own thing and I was trying to get his attention. And so I learned that if I just worked harder, worked harder, worked, did better and stood out more, then I could get the attention. And so that's, that's part of my, my survival self. And that's not where I want to come from most of the time, certainly not where I want to come from in my day-to-day -day work with my clients, right? I want to be giving my clients space. I'm an executive coach, right? I want to be supporting my clients to, to shine, right? As a parent, I don't, I don't want to be coming from that place, but sometimes it will automatically happen. So just knowing is access to being able to create a shift. And I could spend hours talking about the difference between these two, yeah. um, but just to kind of scratch the surface, that's a high level overview. Yeah. And I think there's a, some important things that you've said there, because this is a, the work that I do as well with clients. And it's first of all, understanding, cause I, I hear this a lot too, with it's a, we want to just like battle. We want get, to get rid of the survival self. The survival self's not allowed. I'm like, no, 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 no. We want to have love and kindness for the survival self because it, it was created to protect you, right? A lot of times it's because I think about childhood and different times where things showed up and that's the way that you knew you didn't have the same resources to understand how to protect yourself. So these are different things that you created to keep yourself safe. So it's having lots of love and kindness when it's showing up. Um, but I love what you said there too, around the, um, golden self, which I, I talk to a lot at, in terms of the most resourceful self and being able to access that, uh, because it is so much of the being. And I find a lot of times with leaders, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, is there can be so much focusing on the doing, especially with our type a high achievers, go, go, go do, 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 but not enough time and space to really reflect on who they're being and aspirationally, how do they want to show up? What does it look like for them to show up of the, as that version and, and still having a lot of self-compassion and grace on that days that that person doesn't always show up because we're humans. <laughs> and as humans, we're not going to be that golden self every single day of every minute. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's so important. Um, and I, and I think, you know, because I work with so many people who are high performers and tend to have that perfectionist context, once they get, oh, there are these two sides of me, they want to do it perfectly. Like, oh, yes. why, why am I still coming from my survival self? I yes. Yes. Have some <laughs> compassion. Often I'll say, let's just, let's just turn the volume down. Like let, let's, let's practice just turning the volume down on the survival self, like 10% turning yes. the volume up yes. on the golden self. Yes. 10%. Like, let's just yes. start there. Yes. Yes. 
that reminds me of when it's been like that with meditation, right? Oh, I'm now doing meditation. I have to be a perfect meditator. I'm like, that's the one place, guess what? We're not going to be able to escape thoughts. We all have thoughts. And so let's welcome them in. It's the awareness and training your brain. So I, I love that example that you gave. Uh, so I want to uh, drill into a couple of the different areas that you notice when it comes to leadership development and, and coaching and some of the common themes that you, you see with leaders within organizations. And, and one I want to speak to is around that productivity addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, from my perspective, I, I know it very well. That's my default. I'm, I'm happy to share that. And that's one of the things I also wanted to comment to you, Emily, is I, I love throughout the book how you've shared very vulnerably, vulnerably and let people in. Um, but I also love that you really own your talents and your gifts, because that's something that I can find um, leaders can sometimes really struggle with is that they're very happy to find all the ways that they want to grow, but not really own and say out loud those gifts and talents. Um, So I want to go there as well, because as you can tell, I'm very excited by so many different concepts in the book. But let's start off with the addiction to productivity. Um, Maybe share a couple of stories around how you notice that shows up with leaders and organizations. Um. So, gosh, this one is, uh, this one is so, is so tricky. Um, I'll first just say we live in a culture where we are rewarded for being productive and there is nothing wrong with producing. It is when we um, are defining who we are, good, bad, right, wrong, by that productivity that it becomes a slippery slope. So um, I will find, you know, I have, I'm thinking about a particular client I've worked with who um, told me this is an extreme situation, but was working on a project and was working 16 hour days, um, wasn't sleeping, wasn't taking the care, you know, was eating a very specific prescriptive amount um, that wasn't taking too much time or energy. It was like a specific trail mix or something. And he was like on, he was on autopilot and the impact was he actually got all the work done and he did it at a really high level. But as you can imagine, when you were operating with that level of intensity and like, gotta get it done, there's an impact to the people that you are working with. Um, There's an energy that you're bringing. There's that intensity. And um, I always like to say, it's like the the, the what is getting done, but the how leaves something to be desired. You know, that really, the, the visual of like the dead bodies in the wake. Right. So that's like, that's one way that this addiction to productivity can show up. And then, you know, I've, I've often seen also in clients, um, continuing to be productive, be productive. They're they're the person in the organization that is known to get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. They keep being assigned more. They keep being given more and beneath the surface, there's resentment they're angry, they're frustrated. How come I'm doing all of this and Joe and Jim and Jenny you know, aren't? And, you know, and I'll, as a coach reflect, look at how capable you, you are, right? You've, and look at what you've enrolled the organization in that you get it done. And so um, 
And, and so part of it is that it is the individual's need to be recognized has them continuing to take on more and more and more. So we need to take actually take a look at what has you needing to be recognized? What have you created in terms of this um, perception that you've enrolled people in? And how do you really want it to go? Because if you are feeling resentment, then likely this isn't something you want to continue. You want, you want to keep. Another thing that happens with this addiction to productivity is we have an awareness that, and I'll see this with leaders, that another area of life is really suffering, but there's this justification. Well, I do such a great job here at work that it's okay that I missed this with my child or that with my wife. I'm just, I'm doing such a great job here and at work. So I must continue to work harder and harder and harder and harder. But really it's a cover up for sadness and disappointment and guilt for not being in the other areas. Um, and the, and the, the perception is I'll feel better once mm -hmm. I accomplish more at work. Mm -hmm. The problem is Kristen, the bar keeps getting higher and higher and higher. What once scratched the itch no longer scratches the itch. The bar gets higher and higher and higher. And it's, it's a, it's a very unsatisfying way to operate and to live. And I talk about in the book, um, a night I remember very, very clearly when I was going through my own transformation, I worked, was working late. My husband was putting the kids to bed. They were waiting up for me. And I was just head down in my work, 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 work. And I came upstairs exhausted. All I wanted to do was climb into bed and he's laying in bed, want, you know, both kids on either arm. He's like, they waited up for you. They just wanted a kiss from you. Like, what were you doing? Truth is I wasn't doing anything that needed to be done, but I wanted to get ahead for the next day. I don't, I have no memory of what it was that I was working on, but you can bet I have a memory of the look on my husband's face and my two sleeping bumpkins who I will never be able to get that night back. Yeah. 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 I think it's so important with what you're saying there too. It really uh, goes back to the values and helping people to get really clear on those core values. And as they start to get clear on the core values and the vision of what's truly important to them, it makes it easier when they start to say yes to something that it means, okay, so I'm saying yes to this thing at work. And, but if by saying that I'm sacrificing, what's actually a strong value of mine, which is spending time with my family and then taking that pause and, um, really being conscious and intentional uh, before they say yes to something, because I think a lot of times it's again, the defaults, the default is to say yes. And like really asking themselves, is that truly a yes? Because to say yes to that means you're saying some, you're saying no to something else, which I hear in this situation, I know how important your family is. That's a very, very strong value of yours that ultimately it's not aligned for you because you're saying no to what actually really, really truly matters. For sure. For sure. Um, talk to me a little bit around, um, I, I think what can sometimes happen is um, individuals, they kind of get used to having a, a victim mentality in some cases. And, you know, to the extreme, we might start to see the, the toxic negativity, but 
I think there's even times where it's nuanced, where that victim mentality is coming in and it's not quite so obvious, right? We think of those obvious ones where it's the, oh, everything happens to me and it's, oh, my life is this. Like you kind of think of, we've kind of put it that category for the victim mentality, but there are a lot of different ways where we can show up as, as victims in our life and not really being powerful and feeling empowered. And so I'd love to hear a little bit on your perspective in that area. This is such, um, this was such for me. We, mo- all of us play victim. I'm going to go out on, the li- on a limb and say all of us play victim at different points in our life. Okay. And at different times and in different areas. And again, this is all about choice. It's choosing when you're going to be a victim to this, this circumstance. There are times like this morning where I was a victim to my circumstance of being in a warm, comfortable bed. And I decided not to get out of bed. I was a victim, right? Um, I chose it and I empowered that choice. When I bring the concept of victim to my clients, there is often a visceral response and they're, and they're able to say, oh, I know, I know a victim in my life. And it's that, like you said, that very clear, woe is me person. Being a victim is, includes that when someone is pointing a finger at someone else, at the organization, at um, the way things are, when someone is, um, when a leader is saying, well, things are just the way that they are, that is actually being a victim to the circumstance. Um, And so the antidote, and there are so many examples, I'll give it a little bit more thought, But the antidote to being a victim is to take full responsibility and ownership. So it's not unusual when I'm meeting with a client for the client to go up with a ton of complaints about other people. This one is, you know, doing this. I got this email. That one is, you know, on my team isn't performing, blah, blah, blah. And I'll let the person often complain and do what they need to do for a few minutes. Then I'll pause them and ask, may I interrupt you? And I'll, I'll, I'll say, got it. There's a lot of complaints in this space. May I reflect something? And I'll often say the thing that's missing here is what is your responsibility in all of this? What can you take ownership for? And after the, "Mm," like, I don't want to hear that from you, Emily, there's the, well, hmm. If they really are willing to take a look, there is something to be responsible for. There are many things to be responsible for, to take ownership for. And it's from that responsibility and ownership that they then have power and access to change. But as long as it's everyone else's fault, as long as it's it's, it's because I am the way I am. That, by the way, is a victim mentality. My husband and I were, I remember two years ago, we were taking a walk. I said something to him. He said, well, I'm just that way. That's just the way I am. And I said, well, wow, don't our cells change like every seven years? Like you are always changing. That's what you are, right? So taking responsibility is the antidote, but victim mentality is so insidious. And I I like to say with my clients, 
I become the victim often. I get coached once a week because I don't recognize half the time when I'm being a victim. And this is the line of work I am in every day. So we can't read the jar, the label of the jar from the, from inside the jar. So we often need that reflected. And, you know, depending on how practiced we are at the work, sometimes it's a small reflection and, oh, okay. You know, that, that creates the shift, but it power lies in recognizing, yeah, you're a victim. You're being a victim. We live in a culture that has trained us to be, to be a victim and there is no power there. Yeah, I think it's so important. And I'm glad we went into this in in a little bit more detail. And I I think that's such a powerful part of what happens in coaching, which is holding up that mirror. And I say to clients, like you can expect for me to always show up with so much empathy and love and compassion. But what they like to describe as I describe it as fierce courage, they describe it as tough love. My role is also to tell you things that other people aren't going to say and to reflect that back to you because other people are so quick and so happy to join in. Yes, that's right. I always see that happening. Absolutely. I affirm what you're saying. And it's like, okay, so we're just not going to do anything with this. So that's just the way it is. So we'll just have to go on our merry way. Well, again, like you said, that's not giving you an opportunity to, to find new ways of doing things, new possibilities. And I think that's the part where we can be so much in the weeds that it looks like, well, it's just like this. And then when you start to open them up and see, well, maybe there's other possibilities, maybe you're contributing to this situation in some way. It takes also, I believe a lot of not only self-awareness, but a willingness to take responsibility because the ego, the ego doesn't like that. No, no, I'm right. They're wrong. And it's all of a sudden it's like, Oh, maybe that's not the way it works. And so it's to, to take a step back like that, I do believe takes courage. And that's where the rich, rich growth happens, because now you're going to find all these ways where it's like, oh, it is so powerful to recognize, oh, I am contributing this in some way. And when I start to adjust, then it starts to adjust how everybody else is showing up in that situation. Wow, we start to move the needle in a different way. Yes. And that is such a great point that a lot of times the victim mentality, there's like this magnetic pull, right? People love to complain to one another. And look, there are times that that's exactly what we want and need in the moment. Um, And my warning there would just be, be intentional and, you know, put some barriers around it. Um, But because there, there is sometimes that does meet a need. Um, but it often just has us swimming in the same mucky waters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it starts to be an addiction to the drama too, right? We just look for and like the drama and then we start to get energized by the drama and it's not really serving us. So Emily, you and I are both super, super passionate about emotional intelligence. And I believe there's so much opportunity uh, to make significant changes, both with individuals and with organizations when we start to increase that emotional intelligence. So this is when we start to think about what would you love to see more of in organizations when we think about supporting leaders around emotional intelligence? Uh, More focus. on emotional intelligence, more conversation on the value of emotional intelligence. Um, the world that I believe is possible, is the, 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 the corporate world, the in organizations, I believe it is possible for productivity 
and getting it done and getting great results to be equally as important as, as an emotionally intelligent workforce. I believe that that is possible. I'm not saying it is easy, but that is what I stand for. And that is what I am passionate about bringing into organizations. So I, I am standing for conversations around emotional intelligence to be linked to the bottom line and to um, this healthy workforce. It's where innovation is, is created. When we are flexing our emotional intelligence, we're able to work in a more collaborative way. When we're checking judgment at the door and we're willing to listen to each other and we're checking our own self-judgment at the door and we're willing to speak our truths, there is magic that can be created. When we are able to manage our stress, get our needs met, right? Plug for the new golden rule there, get our needs met. There is so much more that is possible. It is not soft stuff. It is not. It is so incredibly critical. You know, it's funny because I, I work with a lot of very masculine leaders and they'll say, we have to talk about the emotional stuff, right? At the beginning. And by the end, there these these minor shifts from each session has have created these exponential awarenesses that are impacting not just what's happening at work, but in their personal lives as well. Um, emotions are part of our lived experience. Brene Brown says, we like to, she says something like, we like to relate to ourselves as cognitive creatures with emotions sometimes, but we're emotional creatures with cognition sometimes. Yeah. Right? So just like a, a, a workforce that is emotionally intelligent and that is developing, you know, the thing about EQ, as you and I both know well, you can do develop EQ. IQ fixed, done. By the time you're in the workforce, your IQ is 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 fixed according to, to science. EQ can be grown throughout your career. Why are we not doing this? How come? Right? So we are. I'm not being a victim to that. I am out in front. We are. Yeah. Well, and I love uh, like several of the things that you said there. I, I think one is even the word emotional intelligence. And when people hear that they, especially I work with a lot of linear thinkers as well. So their perception of what that means, like, oh, that means now I have to go to work and start crying when I'm feeling sensitive. I'm like, no, that is not what emotional intelligence is. And how it's, it's, I love what you're saying there too, because how transformational it is when they go on their own EQ journey and start to recognize Oh, oh, my self-talk. Oh, that has to do with emotional intelligence. Oh, my lack of awareness. And, and you use an example here, and I, I wouldn't mind touching on this one as well, is that they think they're being perceived by everyone else in a certain way, and they're not. So how they're showing up and their emotions are not actually very connected to what they're saying. They're holding back or they're saying one word, but their, their frowns and their language and their body language and all of that is saying a different thing. And when you think about things like problem solving, and when you start to be more aware of those emotions and you can regulate Wow. Wow. Because how often are, are, um, are problems or solutions coming from that space 
of not being uh, cognizant of what's coming up for you and those emotions. So, and we could go on and on. There's so many ways. And, and I think it's also what important what you said is that we are whole people. And so one thing as a parent, we're both, we're both parents and I'm, I'm super really, really happy to see what's going on in, in my kid's school as a grade three and grade six, so much focus on mindset and emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And um, from my perspective, when you start to help leaders who sometimes are also have children, it's showing up how they're going to be as a father or a mother outside of the workplace as well. It's not this that we can't compartmentalize and, oh, we're this one person at work and then we go home and we're this other person. We won't bring these things over. They're all connected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I talk about that in the book a bit, just how being a, a, being a leader is being a parent and being a parent is being a leader. And that um, it's, you know, often, um, especially for my very linear thinking clients, um, I love when they have kids because I can relate it to their children when we're talking about someone on their team or a peer. Um, it, it just, it helps to give that example. Exactly. Exactly. So Emily, the show is called Inspirational Leadership. And so when you start to think about inspirational leadership and the qualities and the behaviors that are associated with it, what comes up for you? What would you like to see more of? Vulnerability. And when I say vulnerability, please understand, I am not talking about people sharing things that are not relevant, um, but um, just for the sake of being vulnerable. I think, I think culturally we've kind of taken this and like, we've almost like packaged vulnerability. Be honest, be who you are. So leadership to me, inspirational leadership is being more of who you are every day, stepping in and being more fully expressed into who you are every day. Someone said to me yesterday, the thing I can always count on with you, Emily, is that you're always honest about what's going on in your life. You never hold back. There never seems to be like a, if like you, you don't, you don't perform, you just bring the thing. And that to me is, I want to lead by example, because more of that, that's what has people open up to me. And as leaders, that's what will have people open up to you more. So there's that vulnerability, that authenticity, that the recognition that you are human. No matter how smart, and I work with some incredibly high IQ folks out there. There are things that you can learn, leader, from other people, no matter what their IQ is. I told you, my daughter my biggest teacher, my son, learning differences, Tourette as well, my second biggest teacher. They're, they're probably equal actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And when you think about, and you've talked a lot about this through the book, but for the audience, when you think about some of your pivotal moments in terms of your leadership journey and the big things that you've learned about yourself, what, what comes up for you in terms of your own self-leadership? What have you learned that's been very powerful? Um, I, so, so to the point of vulnerability, I used to think being a leader looked one way. Um, and I didn't even realize it until I started doing this work. Um, I thought I couldn't talk about 
the fact I have a medical condition and invisible disability. And I grew up believing that you didn't tell anyone when you're sick or you have a disability because they won't trust you that you can actually get your work done and be effective. Um, and so um, when I shifted that and I was like, no, you know, actually I want to be the voice that says, Hey, I have an invisible disability and some days I'm flat on my back. Um, but most days I, because I have this, it gives me a sensitivity to understand other people's ups and downs. Right. So that was pivotal in that recognition and my um, invisible disability hit a new low, if you will, 2017, 18. So that was, that was really pivotal for me. Um, obviously my daughter's diagnosis pivotal for me going through the transformational coach training program I went through, which I highly recommend accomplishment coaching. That was 2015 to 16. And then I studied with them as a, um, as a leader, a mentor coach from 15, from 16 to 17. So those were all pivotal in just challenging that perception of what leadership is and means. Um, and I really challenge anyone and everyone that's listening to this podcast to define leadership for themselves. And I'll often say that, especially in group settings, like let's talk about what the anatomy of a leader is to you. You get to define it. Yeah. It reminds me of the exercise when I get people to say, what does success look like for you? Because I think a lot of times people are aspiring to something that they think they should be aspiring to, but it's not actually their definition of success. It's cultures. It's the culture's de definition of success. It's their parents' definition of success. It's their unconscious belief of what other people are saying when it's not actually that. So I think it's really important for each of us. And, um, you've done this very well in your book as well, is that there is no one size fits all. We're all wonderfully unique humans and our strengths are going to look different. Our developmental areas, our gaps are going to look different. And uh, I talk a lot about what can also be a really, really valuable strength in one situation could actually be a blind spot in another situation. So the more we spend that time really getting to know ourselves, um, powerful information. And as we start to close today's conversation, I think this brings us to a nice place when we start to think about, we talked a little bit throughout the podcast around coaching, but I do still think for some people, there's a misconception around what coaching is and what coaching isn't. And if you were to say high level around, because I know you also explained it, experienced it, and I did as well on our own transformational journeys. And I believe the best coaches are always working with their own coaches because we're never done growing. But what is, how would you describe the power of coaching? Well, I was on the couch at the age of nine. I talk about that openly. I had learning differences and my mother was concerned about my self-esteem Therapy is an amazing modality. It's a healing modality. Um, where therapy, where my therapy left off, my coaching began. Um, coaching is a forward focused conversation. Coaching is about creating a future intentionally. Coaching is about taking awarenesses. I actually entered coaching with a lot of awareness about myself or so I thought. It turns out there was still a lot more awareness to be generated. But it's about taking that awareness and putting it into powerful action and having someone there who is a partner, not an expert telling you what to do, but a partner there to try on different things 
and to hold you to what you say you want, even when your survival self is like, you know what? I actually really don't want to write that book. I said I did, but just kidding. Not this year. No, but you said you did. You said you wanted it. What's going on? Right. So I always say to my clients, like, or to people that I'm talking to about coaching, um, it's a mirror. It's um, a powerful reflection. Coaching is working with someone who's going to say the things to you that no one else in your life is going to say. And my flavor of it, and I think yours is as well, is from love and compassion and deep respect. Because I only work with people who I deeply respect. I won't work with someone who I don't have, you know, if I don't feel that, that connection, but that there's that deep respect. It truly, truly is a partnership. And I don't know exactly where my client is going to go. How could I? Yeah. My coach doesn't know exactly where I'm going to go, but as a coach, I am standing for my client's greatness and I am in love with my client, in, in love with my client's greatness, I will say. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's this, it's, it's, it's such a privilege uh, to be able oh, to do this work. Such a privilege. It is, it is the greatest privilege, privilege, the work that we get to do to be let into someone's inner world and to support them to make shifts and incremental, I mean, and, and not incremental, transformational shifts is, 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 the best, is the best thing ever. Yeah. And we grow on the journey as well. That's the beauty of it. Totally. So much of our own growth that shows up in every single coaching session. I say that so often to my clients, you know, it's like, you don't, just like I say to my kids, what you don't realize is you may be learning so much from me and I'm learning just as much from you. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thoughts with the audience. What comes up for you? The new golden rule. If I could give the gift to anyone Listening to everyone listening is to treat yourself the way that you want others to treat you, to be kind and to give yourself what you need. So often we don't know what has us feeling off or um, uncomfortable or reaching for that glass of wine or that chocolate or it's all, it's an unmet need, right? Tap into it. Give yourself the gift. You are more powerful than you realize. Mm, beautiful. And where can people learn more about you, Emily? So my um, my website is, well, there's the newgoldenrule.info, which has information about the book, where to get it, um, some downloads on the book. And then I also um, can be reached at golden-resources.com. Um, I love to play on LinkedIn as well. I try to shoot some videos and put some content out there. So feel free to connect with me there as well. Amazing. And we will have all of that in the show notes. And I want to wish everybody who is listening to this episode today, a wonderful day, whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, that's the beauty of a global audience. And a reminder, please, if you're enjoying this podcast, go on kristenharcourt.com and you can subscribe to get episodes uh, first thing to your email when they're released. And uh, let people know, let people know about the podcast. It's really grown organically. And I think this is a really important mission. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Emily.
thanks for what you're doing, Kristen. It's beautiful work. Thank Just you. like you. <laughs> Thank you.